Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Bellacoon. You are listening to episode 125 uh, as we start our month of horror. And the topic tonight is the top five horror anthologies. Um, Frank, I kind of forced this one on you, I think. I think I just like made you do this kind of. Um, but I know that you like anthologies. Um, so I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But I think I did it for my own benefit to see if I could find anthologies that I like. So we'll see how this goes. And honestly, like this is already um, leaning towards our biggest, uh, biggest regrets episode. Um, <laughs> what episode 200 biggest regrets is, is the choices you make here. <laughs> a, a couple of them. at least. <laughs> Not to say that I think that anything on this list is bad. And I like, I like stuff from all of them, but I, in hindsight, there were other anthologies that I would have probably um put on this list instead of a couple of the ones that ended up on it like what uh well specifically black sabbath should have gone on the list i don't know how i didn't think of that um the mario baba um anthology from the early 60s oh boy am i glad you forgot that one okay yeah oh it's really good um uh, there's some other stuff like tales from the crypt um uh trilogy of terror probably should have gone on uh the one that's um all based on richard matheson short stories hmm. what is um, that i don't know that one it's basically three stories that, circ- that are around women sort of um there's some really creepy stuff in it okay <clears throat> i think i'm gonna i don't want to talk about it too much because i'm pretty sure it'll make um one of the 70s uh yeah be on the 70s list for uh, one of the years okay um there's a couple we've already talked about that i didn't really want to revisit um monster club in particular which i know that you found kind of silly but i really enjoyed that um there, no, you remember that, that? yeah like we, we we never like really talked about it. we just talked and talked about it um like kind of like we're talking about things right now. Um, but I really enjoyed Monster Club. I thought Monster I, Club was on the list. No, but no, you 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 basically had it as like what you would have picked as six and maybe you, I don't know, you changed oh, something. This, right, is like, right. this is like two years ago or something like that. Yeah. But I really enjoy it. I, I think that's a really good anthology. I thought um, a little bit it's a couple of the, I thought the framing device was silly. I there's a couple of stories I really like though. The ghouls one in the um the haunted town mm-hmm. um is yeah. really like really fucking good. Um, the first two creep shows I really enjoy. And we talked um, about probably, the first one. Yeah, I probably would have cheated and like just squished them together into one. I don't know why I didn't think creep sh- putting creep show two on this list. Um, body bags we talked about. Um, I'm a pretty big fan of that. Um, I like um VHS a lot. Mm-hmm. The first VHS. And um, Trick or Treat, which is another anthology from, like, the early, the late 2000s, like, 09, I think. Um, So, I don't know. I mean, there's other stuff I would have given it, I think, more. You know, it's funny. We never talked about body bags. Didn't we? Nah. So, 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 so basically, this entire list. list is wrong, and you would have five other movies that you would put on this list. That's what you're telling me. 
A couple. That's fine. You're just going to make me watch all the anthologies over time, I guess. That's how it goes. No problem. Yeah. It's fine. What else are we doing? Yeah, because I remember... Um, because uh, yeah, that's John Carpenter, right? Body bags. That's the gas yeah. station. The gas station one and stuff like that. It's where he plays the um the yeah. animated corpses. Like yeah, yeah, we, didn't, yeah we never talked about that. The gas station one is is the best out of mm-hmm. all of them. Yeah. Um, but the one with the hair too, the guy with the hair implants, that one's really good. Um, really disgusting. So I don't know. I really like body bags. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of horror anthologies in general. Mm-hmm. Um, just because even though a lot of them tend to be mixed bags, um, there's something to be said for a really well done short horror film. Right. And even in like the silliest, um, anthologies, you tend to get one or two that are just really good or really well done or really creepy. Um, along with like, usually there's a comedy one or, you know, ones that are less horror focused, but, um. Yeah, I'm. 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 I enjoy them. There's some like I don't want to say garbage ones, but there's some ones from the '60s, um, like Doctor Terror's House of Horrors and uh, Torture Garden, are both um, have some good elements, but <clears throat> um, are kind of like weak overall. I mean, they're just kind of that goofy, like '60s horror. Um, there's one from the late '70s, early '80s called um, "From a Whisper to a Scream." Uh, that has a, a couple good segments in it that I like a lot. Um, but each of the movies that are on this list have at least one segment that's, to me, like a really standout, um, well-done horror segment. Um, and I like the framing devices on a couple of these. Uh, that's another thing, too, is like a good framing device really like yeah. pulls you into Agreed. the idea of the anthology. Um, it makes it feel like a more fully realized story as opposed to just, you know three to five unrelated or vaguely related horror tales um, of which there's a couple of those on this list so yeah um i think it was also a way for so we'll talk a little bit more about this but you had companies um because a lot of the horror anthologies from the 70s which is really like the big decade of the anthology um, were British, so you had um, Hammer, obviously, um, and then a company called Amicus, which we'll talk about tonight, um, that were the two big, like, real horror studios. Then there were smaller studios like um, Tigon, Tigon, T-I-G-O-N, mm-hmm. um, that also made a decent amount of horror movies, and they produced some anthologies, and I mean, just there was this really big, I don't want to say glut, because that makes it sound like there's not quality, but... um. Horror was very popular in the 70s in Britain, um, and it was really, like, probably one of the more popular genres of film, like, throughout the 70s into the 80s until the whole video nasties um, controversy in the 80s where a bunch of stuff gets banned in Britain. Um, And then horror just sort of falls by the wayside and becomes much more, like, staid Victorian, I don't know like chillers i would say more than like horror films um and there's some decent horror anthologies that came out of the u.s but for the most part um you like u.s studios were just making like standalone horror films although again like things like creep show um are the exception to that sure um so why do you do you do you have a 
understanding or uh, maybe like a reason why anthologies are so popular like in britain um is it is it something specific perhaps culturally or do you think it's like a financial incentive because i'm assuming these can be really cheap and easy to yeah i think you can churn them out pretty fast churn, churn them out quick yeah right yeah especially if you have multiple directors and production teams working on them um you know it's not like other they usually take place in small settings they don't typically require um high production value um and i think they're popular again like i you know there's something to be said for <clears throat> it's almost like the old serials where you get you know five fully realized stories in the span of two hours as opposed to you know one drawn out story over that time so i think maybe it plays upon people's like lessened attention spans um and then Hammer was really big on the whole idea of um, the short film, basically. So you had, um, in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, Hammer did a series of um, shorter uh, thriller movies that were more based around, like, psychological horror. Okay. And then in the early 80s, I think, is the Hammer Horror Hour, or whatever it's called, um, that's currently on Shutter. But that was a weekly serialized, like forty-five to fifty-minute-long um, short horror film anthology series, um, which has some pretty decent stuff in it. But you know, like you don't need a full whatever like script. You don't need definitely not as much time on set. You know, it's not like you're filming for weeks to make a full movie with like multiple locations. Again, typically it's just you know, single locations or a couple small locations for movies like this. Um, so, yeah, I would think that it's probably financial and probably also financial from the standpoint of the production value and financial from the standpoint of the return hmm. on investment. And why do you think there's less in America? You know, I don't know. It's weird. I mean, if you look at places like... Um, there's a lot of Asian horror anthologies, um, a lot of European horror anthologies like Italy. Um, the whatever you want to call it, the um, Eastern Bloc countries have a lot of horror anthologies. Um, Britain. It's just, I don't know, I guess maybe. Because it's not like it's not like a. <laughs> Because I equate, like, you know, like, a lot of these type of things to, like, short stories, right? Like, um, in my mind. But it's not like America doesn't love a short story. I mean, overall. Maybe it has to, so maybe. Maybe not anymore. Part of it has but... to do with, um, this is some real fucking, like, armchair, I don't know, intelligista, like, thought. But that's maybe what we're, That's what do... we're here for. Yeah, go ahead. Right. So there's actually my favorite anthology of all time, and I can't believe I didn't put it on this list. Um, again, I think maybe I thought we talked about it. Uh -huh. um, is quite on. Uh, uh -huh. six, um, I Jap <laughs> Japanese horror anthology. Wondered um, about that myself. Uh -huh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I didn't even think to do it. There's actually a few other anthologies from Japan, especially from like Us, um, Ringu, um, that are really good that I just forgot about completely. Um, I don't, maybe I, was I drunk when I made this list? I couldn't have been because this is a COVID list. 
It is a COVID list, yeah. Maybe I was just depressed. Anyway, um, I think that part of it is the fact that you have so much more folklore and myth in other countries, mm. um, and so it let those those kind of stories lend themselves to um, shorter, whatever, like like quite on, you know. I mean, that's all based off of Japanese, like traditional Japanese myth. And that it's a long movie, but you know, the story of like the snow woman, you can tell that story in 45 minutes or mm -hmm. like whatever Yochi one ear or whatever the fuck they're the, the goblin one. You can tell that story in like 45 minutes. And <clears throat> again, with like the British, I think that maybe it's just the way that like things were serialized there. Um, in terms of like their television that people were just more accustomed to watching shorter yeah yeah maybe I, movies yeah it's interesting I, I i really don't have an answer myself i mean i'm trying to think of like who writes horror short story i mean who writes horror short stories anymore like that are anymore? like yeah I mean, they it's it, it's still pretty prevalent yeah i mean every year you get the best horror short story anthologies i pick those up every couple of years and read through them yeah um, and we have people like Robert Block, um, right? Richard Matheson, uh, King for a long time was really sure. into short stories. Yeah, but I'm saying um, it's like how old, how old or dead are some of those people? <laughs> yeah, I mean you're right. There's other. I, I don't really know any of the modern. Uh, yeah. Joe Hill writes short stories. Sure. Yeah. Um, to pull a modern horror writer out of my ass. Um. Uh. I just wonder if there's, there's like a like a loss of fascination though, like you know, I mean, because I don't, th I don't think I'm, and this is me talking my ass. I don't think the American horror stories, like anthology series that they're putting out now, is doing very well, um, ratings wise, where it's like a different story each week um, compared to like the regular seasons of that show. So it's like I wonder if there's just like a loss of fascination with like kind of well, episodic horror or something. Like that. <laughs> well, I think there's a loss of fascination with episodic anything really and yeah. i think that i mean right now it's it's netflix it's hbo it's you know disney um has accustomed us to serialized television where right. there's there's an actual like build with multiple payoffs and twists and whatever through the course of like multiple seasons like because people can just binge stuff and we have the ability to watch anything whenever we want for the most part um, I think people aren't aren't as keen on the idea of I'm going to watch something that has no consequence after this episode. Um, I think people find that to be like more boring, maybe. Yeah. Um, because uh, like I I know a lot of people that watch a great deal of serialized TV through streaming services. Right. Pretty much everyone I know like at least does some element of that. Right. So. Mm -hmm you're not really getting that same effect when you watch something that's you know like you watch a movie um for the most part you get a beginning a middle and an end to a movie and you watch you know a series and you get that feeling of like continuation and growth yeah. and character development and it's like in most anthologies what are you really getting you're getting like yeah. 30 to 40 minutes at most of a story and 
I don't know. I mean, yeah, you think, like, I, I mean, I think it's part of my problem. I, the, the reason I really think I wanted you to do this list was because, like, I tend not to like these, and it doesn't mean that I don't like segments. It's like I, I have a hard time like finding anthology movies that I actually like the entire thing. Um, and I think um, my hope was that um, you know you knowing all these like anthologies and stuff so well, it's like you know you know horror well and you know anthologies well, and it's like. Um, but then, like, you just, um, um, didn't put any of the, uh, the best ones apparently on this list, so, right. but, um, but, I, but... I, I have, I have made no effort in the creation of this list, I guess. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> the end result of this podcast is, is, hey, listen for another two hours. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I think, I think that's my problem is I'm looking for, I just, Look, there's short stories that I absolutely love, but it's like I prefer a novel over a short story. And I think it's the same thing here. It's like I would prefer a movie over the 25-minute, you know, short film, basically. And you know what? Maybe that's maybe maybe part of the problem is the unevenness of the product, right? Like mm -hmm. not a single one of these five movies is 100 solid from start to finish like every single one of them has a seg at least one segment that sort of drags down the hole yeah and in some like you know you're watching for like 45 minutes so it's like in a movie if you're into the movie you have the continuation of that plot and those characters throughout the entirety of the film you're watching whereas here you might be really into one segment and then be really bored in another segment and then you've got to like get yourself back up to watching you know another one that you might enjoy um so one of the things that i'm gonna do is talk about the movie in general and then which segment is the best out of it right and which ones are just in my opinion skippable um and then we can you know i think that'll be an easy way to get through the list right and still have some sense. value to it um you know it's funny like you think about something like masters of horror right um which is an anthology series from the mid 2000s and um had some really great critical success when it first aired but then over time because some of the episodes were so lackluster like it just people lost interest in the idea of watching yeah um watching it as a series so it eventually just kind of petered out but <clears throat> And that's the problem for every one of those movies or for every one of those shorts that's like really good. Mm -hmm. Like the Don Coscarelli one is really good. Takashi right. um, Miike one is good. Um, but like like the Landis one is trash. Um, is that Cigarette Burns? Is that right? That Miike, Miike does? Is that his? No, Cigarette Burns is the um, the Carpenter one about the cursed film. Mm. Uh, Miike is uh, shit the one with the deformed asian woman that lives on the side of the river i can't remember oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. right i got you all right um landis is the deer woman i think is his segment mm -hmm. not a good i don't one. know i remember that yeah. there's the one that's like the anti-abortion one or mm. the pro-abortion one i don't know there's some kind of abortion thing going on there um right yeah like that that's the thing is that they're not like super memorable and some of them just aren't that good sure um so yeah. yeah all right so let's go ahead and um start with this movie um 
So number five on your list is Twilight Zone, the movie from 1983. It has a 58% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 55% from audiences. Uh, so in this, the prologue and epilogue, um, we have starring Dan Aykroyd and Albert Brooks. Um, segment one, uh, which is based on an old Twilight Zone called The Equality of Mercy, is directed by John Landis, stars Vic Morrow. Segment two is based on Kick the Can, is directed by Steven Spielberg, stars Scatman Crothers. Segment three is based on It's a Good Life, uh, directed by Joe Dante, stars Kathleen Quinlan, Jeremy Licht, Kevin McCarthy, and um, the good old Dick Miller. Uh, and then segment four is based on Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, which is directed by George Miller and stars John Lithgow. Um, so want to, I guess, I, however you want to do this, I guess, either talk about your favorite segment or talk about some of them. Or... Um, so this is a movie that, and we, we talked about this off air, but this is a movie that I was one of the Saturday horror matinee movies that they would show on like Channel 54 um which was what like upn or something i guess yeah what upn turned into or wp who knows so yeah something. um they would never show the quality of mercy segment which is the first segment with vic morrow so i had never actually even seen that segment until i was a teenager and rented this movie mm-hmm. um so there's a lot of controversy with with that part of the film um for those of you that don't know uh, vic morrow and two young children like seven and nine i think they were um were killed in an accident while filming this movie um and they were filming illegally at night with these children um and they basically didn't tell anyone that the children were on the set so there was an accident with some explosions that caused a helicopter to crash and the helicopter crashed into vic morrow and these kids who were running across like a rice paddy um and vic morrow was decapitated actually um in the accident uh but just like horrifying yeah completely like irresponsible and i don't know inexcusable on the part of landis to even like try and film when he did and to use these children in this way and um it really kind of puts a pall over this movie and i as a kid so the segment that i think is um the best segment in this movie is uh the it's a good life segment which is um the Joe Dante one, it's the third segment in the film, third uh, film segment. Um, it's a almost like a very like Stephen King-esque story um, about a kid who has psychic powers, actually like, not even psychic powers, like reality-altering powers. And um, a young teacher that sort of befriends him and then goes to his house and finds that he has these people trapped there um, that he treats like his family, but they're just random strangers that he keeps trapped in the house um it's it's got a weird like cartoonish looney tunes-esque like vibe to it in terms of the color and the angles and the way that it's filmed and then you know the kid being like a child that can warp reality is obsessed with cartoons and eventually kills his pseudo sister by putting her into a, a cartoon where she you know gets murdered um, his real sister, he removed her mouth. So there's actually a scene that used to you know, horrify me as a child mm-hmm. with um this woman like watching TV with like just skin over where her mouth should be, like no mouth. Um so it's it's it, it's interesting from the perspective of like the story is well told, um, it's well acted. Um it gets to the point and it kind of like builds the suspense and then 
sort of leaves you with almost a weird uh, like fire starter-esque feeling at the end where like this kid with this almost limitless power this teacher is going to like take him under her wing and <clears throat> sort of help him master that power and you know possibly it's implied that she left like you know probably an abusive relationship um right. or at least like a bad relationship and she's just looking for something else so this is her chance to start over and do whatever she wants and um it's just it's it's really well directed um the fourth segment in the movie the um terror at 20,000 feet or whatever the gremlin episode um it's probably the most recognizable and famous um segment of the movie uh, with John Lithgow playing a man that has um an extreme phobia of flying who is, is exacerbated by seeing like a monster like ripping pieces off of the plane yeah. um and he actually plays into the framing device because he put him in imminent put him in an ambulance and then it turns out to be um uh what's his name Dan Aykroyd's hitchhiker character who murdered Albert Brooks in the first like opening yeah um whatever like bookend and then turns around and is presumed to do the same thing to Lithgow yeah I, I'll be honest like besides the segment you just talked about that's my favorite part of the entire movie um is the idea like this kind of like meta joke where it's like this guy gets like wheeled off like the plane after a nervous breakdown and gets put into the ambulance. And then it's like his journey's not over and he's got to deal with this bullshit now. Um, right. It was kind of like my favorite like thing outside of the Dante segment. Yeah. Yeah. It, so George Miller directs um, terror 20,000 feet and it's, it's fine. And again, it's, it's very, just very typical twilight zone esque. Um, but the, it's a good life is really good it's a really well done segment um when i was a kid it was very uh influential isn't the right word but it, it stayed with me for a long time like it made a big impression on me as a kid and i remember that that segment of the movie forever even if i forgot the others um the second segment is fine it's more of like kind of like an amazing stories um feel good thing about old people reclaiming their youth um and doesn't really necessarily fit in the theme but i guess like maybe because some of the twilight zone episodes were yeah it's that that kick the can is one of my favorite twilight zone episodes um like the the original from the twilight zone like series um and yeah but i'm um, gonna tell you something in all honesty i am not a fan of the twilight zone um i find the twilight zone to be mostly really boring and there's some really good episodes that like matheson wrote but for the most part, like, I just think they're kind of like, I don't know. They're very quaint to me, and sure. I don't really find anything like... That's why the ones I tend to like aren't, like, necessarily horror-based. It's things like Kick the Can. Those are the things that, like, I actually liked growing up as those ones that, like, are about, like, a message about, like, a universal message about life and stuff like that as opposed sure. to like you know that kind of stuff so that's because yeah the horror stuff like isn't very or like the social commentary of the times and the twilight zone isn't very revolutionary nowadays like you know it's like yeah duh <laughs> but it's cool seeing scatman brothers in it and that's it's, yeah sure it's wholesome and whatever it's fine yeah. so yeah. yeah and like 58 percent. that's probably where i am too with this movie and I'm not going to talk about the fucking Vic Maru, John Landis segment because it's just, I don't know, such an abomination that that that, that happened. And 
Yeah, like I, I, I really like that Dante segment a lot. Like overall, like you, it, it was the thing that was most memorable, mainly from like the way it's filmed to me. Like especially when it gets all crazy, cartoonish and like circus esque or something. Like you know, I mean, like in the way it's filmed, like all that stuff always stuck with me with the heavy Dutch angles at times and the shadows and the cart or the uh, television like screen, like kind of like you know, like lighting up the room and like you know like deep colors like shafts of deep colors on the walls and shit like when it gets really crazy all that stuff like stuck with me a lot from a kid so it's like the most memorable segment to me out of all this um but when i watch this again i think i watched it like yeah like on some kind of like friday thursday or friday night like i started early and started watching it at like 5 30 and I was depressed and um like i <laughs> I'm sitting here watching it, and I know segments to like kick the can and nightmare at twenty thousand feet. I'm not from 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 the original Twilight Zone. I know those pretty well. Um, I'm not familiar with It's a Good Life as much, and I wasn't familiar with the first segment that um, Landis did. But um, I was watching this, and all I could think is like, why the? F- and I t- I think I texted you this. I don't know if I I think I did. I was like, why the fuck did they do this? Like, what is the point of this movie? Like, overall, like, like, why are you remaking, especially some things that are considered classics, like in the eighties, like Kick the Can and Nightmare Twenty Thousand Feet are classics of Twilight Zone. Why are you remaking these and putting them out in the eighties? And you had an answer to that, and like, I, so, I mean, it's playing, it's it's playing off boomer nostalgia. Okay, yeah, you're talking about. The things like my parents grew up watching Twilight Zone as young people, and they were trying to reinvigorate an interest in the series itself um, to lead into um, the television revival. Um, On top of that, um, Spielberg, and I I think this is really like telling with him, um, it foreshadows his fixation with constantly revisiting the things he loved in his youth um which is stuff like the twilight zone and the nostalgia for like that time in the 1950s and 60s and um i mean i think it it shows through like what he makes after that um you know like his taste in like the movies he tries to the the stuff he tries to create and just his trying to force that nostalgia into everything by hook or by crook i guess and i think landis is the same probably you know because they're contemporaries of each other well, they're um, all fucking boomers i mean like every single one of them like here but i mean but really I mean, you're you're looking at you know the era of conspicuous consumption where yeah. everyone's making money and people that grew up with this stuff as children now are able to you know i mean it's just like with us with like you know the the mini video game consoles and um all the tv shows on netflix that are like all the toys that made us and the cartoons we loved as kids and like you know all that stuff is is geared towards now our generation that's in the same position sure now we're the ones with money and disposable income and it's like hey remember how great your life was in the 80s and it's the same thing for them and that's a but and all that makes sense you're right i mean like i i guess at least i'm consistent because i hate all that fucking shit too so um like i mean like, like shit there was just a he-man revival 
like three months ago and right and i they watched revived, like one episode of it and stopped but yeah they revived the transformers constantly like they keep reinventing the transformers mm. and gi joe has a revival now even though it kind of fell short from a film standpoint with snake eyes like you know that's that's what it is it's like here's your childhood you know repackaged and it's kind of the same thing that spielberg was doing so maybe it was sort of ahead of his time <laughs> oh no he was he was completely of his time like if anybody like created like you know like consumeristic nostalgia it's baby boomers um like take take this for example and this isn't necessarily a one-to-one comparison one of the most popular movies from this same time period is a christmas story and a christmas story is in essence like a silly rose-colored look at you know the 1950s and it's what it's what was selling. It's what like they were trying to like push onto the public because they were hoping that people that grew up in that era would be like, oh, like let me relive some portion of my childhood. So I don't know. Yeah, I you know I, that that's that's a different podcast. Maybe um, is to talk about nostalgia and that kind of shit. But um, yeah, it's just something that like. I have in limited ways, but I just, I guess I don't get like, um, in that way. And certainly to make money off of the nostalgia is kind of just the, um, so I don't get it. It works. Sure. It does. uh, Sure. Um, but yeah, Scott McCruthers, I really like in that role. Like I love seeing him like in that role. I just don't understand why the segment needs to be remade. And even I, I like Lithgow better than Shatner. Like, cause Shatner is just hamming it up, you know, in that twilight zone episode. Oh yeah. Lithgow provides a true manic in, intensely manic anxiety to sure. that role with that sweaty wide-eyed jittery like i don't know like ugly normal looking man kind of thing that just really you know yeah it's just the idea is like i don't like it's like um bad example maybe but it's like like when they remade Rebecca last year, um, which I still haven't watched, but it's like, why, why would you remake Rebecca? Like, I, I just don't get it. And it's like, I don't get why, even though like it's a better performance, I don't get why you remake. I mean, like, why do you remake anything? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I largely agree. Unless it's bad. That's why I've always argued. Like, why not remake right. bad movies? You know, like things that have a core that's like decent, but like it was just done sure. poorly. But I, nobody's going to look to that because they want to, take something and try and rekindle interest to make a quick buck and I, have, sadly, I have a new i have a new example other than bats by the way the other morning i woke up and i um didn't want to get out of bed um so i sat there and tur- like for some reason night flyer the night flyer uh stephen king adaptation oh yeah the, got the recommended to me on yeah. youtube on youtube like not even like a, a youtube like you know specific person it's just like somebody put it up because i guess it's maybe not available anywhere and it got recommended to me and i started watching it and i did finish it later in the day but um it's terrible but um the core story is like decent it's like why not remake the night flyer like right i, I mean there's a, a that's actually what someone should do is make a stephen king anthology for those kind of things like stories like night flyer yeah um because there's the one um Popsy, I think it's called. Are you familiar with that one? I don't think so. With the kid that gets um kidnapped by the um serial killer child molester in the van um from the parking lot of a mall. Yeah. And then it turns out that his grandfather is like a immortal like 
superhuman vampire creature mm-hmm. um that basically comes and like murders the yeah the serial killer it's it, yeah. Like, yeah short stories like that that are in things like um like night shift and skeleton crew and whatever you know mm-hmm. like there's real like old stephen king short story anthologies like those are the ones that somebody should go and remake there yeah. actually was a series that was based off of a lot of those um they were in they were in big box vhs boxes and i can't remember what the series was called but it was that it was like stephen king short stories filmed almost like fairy tale theater style like where it's only like a 35 minute like single story on a vhs Mm -hmm. Um, i remember the woman in the room and there was another one rats maybe was on there um another anthology thing that we forgot to talk about and then we'll move on to the next movie um is that alfred hitchcock presents in the oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh which was really fucking fantastic and had some really great um uh episodes and had that great framing device of hitchcock like talking to you and like Mm -hmm. introducing the thing and um yeah just really good anthology series i actually i actually prefer the old hitchcock presents series from back in the day to twilight zone yeah agreed same here yeah so yeah so that's the twilight zone movie yeah i guess there was in the 80s like a complete revival of all that stuff now that i think about it yeah huh I, i forgot about like how much like it was going on in terms of kind of like anthology series really um i forgot about it completely forgot about the revamped um renewed whatever reboot of alfred hitchcock presents yeah it was good yeah yeah i remember it now but all right that, so, that oh. amazing stories and the storyteller um to me are the three best like anthology series of the the 80s <laughs> what's the third one the storyteller it was a jim henson produced anthology series that was more based on like um like myth and legend and fairy tales um that was all like puppety but with okay. real people gotcha i, I don't it's, care about that i'm just telling you it's really fucking good <laughs> right um i would not like that correct <clears throat> probably you don't like jim henson i mean i don't know it's i don't care about jim henson. I, you know what i like i like muppet babies you know what you can't find anywhere is fucking muppet babies yeah, yeah. because they redid muppet babies in it's because so, it's because no, it's, it's so good that might be true what's your favorite what what's your favorite Muppet babies episode oh jesus frank like i could sit here and no, then we can't talk about Muppet babies like i could go on forever about Muppet babies like i used to watch it's it. a really good show yeah i could go on forever about it like i it's can one I, of my favorite cartoons of all time but, can i can i tell you my favorite Muppet Babies sure, episode? Yeah. Okay. um it's the one where uh everybody else is being weird and gonzo feels like he lost his weirdness <laughs> because uh-huh. do, do you know what i'm talking about uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep. and it's got a song it's um what's a semi weirdo supposed to do uh-huh and it's basically like a beatles song it's a really good song yes yeah. gonzo yeah. yeah i know exactly what like, you're talking about moping because you know like everybody else can turn into salvador dolly paintings and <laughs> right gonzo's like lost his mojo man what a fucking good show yeah really really ahead of its time and really like you know sort of the same vein that things like spongebob picked up on later which was a cartoon that was geared towards kids because it had so many like adult oriented themes that you could sit there and enjoy it as like an older person 
God, Robert Block just keeps popping up on this like damn list. Okay, so because Robert well, Block, Block wrote, wrote the next the two. Well, right, and he wrote the novelization of the Twilight Zone. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like movie thing. So, um, so next on your list is the House That Dripped Blood from 1971, is directed by Peter Duffel, written by Robert Block. It uh, stars John Bennett. Denholm Elliott, Peter Cushing, Joanna Dunheim, Tom Adams, Christopher Lee, John Pertwee, Ingrid Pitt has a 92% from critics and a 57% from audiences. Um, uh, I did not, I, it didn't seem like people like listed to me like the segments on this in any specific way, like by what do you names mean? or anything. Did, did they have names to them? Yeah, they have names. Do they? Um, so it's four segments that are wrapped into a framing device of um a british real estate agent like basically trying to rent this house okay um to a series of people um but the house has a sinister past and so everyone that rents it ends up meeting a sinister fate um the first one uh denholm elliott one is about um yeah method for murder i i found them now yeah. A, a writer who uh, has created a um, strangler character that he starts to see um, and thinks that he's going crazy, but it's really uh, his wife's lover um, who ends up, who's an actor who ends up going so method that he kills the wife. Um, that's your opening segment. Um, second segment is the Peter Cushing segment, I think. It is. Waxworks. Um, yeah, with a guy who um, was in love with a woman, and then he sees this man, this wax figure in a waxworks that reminds him of the woman, and he kind of becomes obsessed. And then he meets another man that was obsessed with her, and then that guy becomes obsessed with the waxworks. And what it turns out is um, her husband murdered her, and turned her into a wax statue and he then murders peter cushing and the other guy and like has their heads um cast in wax um to be part of his wax works forever uh, because he doesn't want anyone else to basically be obsessed with his wife um this is a segment that actually gave me nightmares as a kid because i was always super uncomfortable with decapitations um decapitations always really bothered me like the idea of someone removing your head from your body and so the final shot of Cushing's um, decapitated head with like the whatever, like the the agape mouth in the screen, like always really bothered me. Um, third segment is my favorite segment, uh, Sweets for the Sweet. Um, it's uh, Christopher Lee um, has taken his daughter to the house. You first to Christopher Lee is just this like, callous like abusive man who's like a tyrant basically with his daughter but then you come to find out that the daughter is actually inherited the powers of her mother as a witch um crafts a voodoo doll of uh, lee out of wax and um basically ruins his life and then kills him by throwing his voodoo doll into the fire um, where he burns to death um then the fourth segment the final segment uh was the john pertwee segment um carmilla i think it's called um it's a the cloak cloak i'm sorry right so uh um guy who specializes in playing vampire characters moves into the house and gets this like fancy cloak um that basically grants him the powers of a vampire 
Um, but then it turns out that there's like another vampire that because they love his portrayal of vampires, they want to turn him into a vampire too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the Ingrid Pitt version as well. Ingrid Pitt being like super famous for basically portraying half naked vampire women through like yeah. a very long series of camera films. Um, sweet to the sweet is my favorite of all the hmm. um the segments. Um number one, I think Christopher Lee is probably like the preeminent um cold like calculating villain character of the 70s in terms of british art um and i really like the um the sort of twist that you think that he's the villain of the story until you realize 100 percent that oh my god like this girl is like truly just like evil and he's really just trying to protect other people from her um whatever like her power um and I, I I like the witchcraft stuff. I like the voodoo doll stuff. Um, I think the best thing about this movie is, and you you said this and you're exactly right, um, is the framing device of the idea of this kind of like sort of duplicitous real estate agent mm-hmm. being like, oh, hey, like yeah. maybe this is a house for you. And then like you just end up dead. And then at the end, like breaking the fourth wall and basically saying that like when you move into this house, you get what you get. Um, because the house gives you like whatever what's inside you or i can't remember the actual like phrasing that he uses yeah. but um it's just it's very so this is an amicus production um amicus sort of like the also ran version of hammer films um in the 70s um not as much money not as popular but really just made quality films um there's some really good uh amicus productions in the 70s um and i feel like people don't talk about them as a studio as much just because hammer kind of overshadows it uh especially when you when you look at people that are horror fans like most people will think about um the classic hammer horrors but you know you've got um again they're like a bunch of anthologies like dr terror's house of horrors torture garden um but they also did uh scream and scream again um they did tales from the crypt vault of horror another couple anthologies um madhouse which is a really great vincent price movie from the mid 70s Mm -hmm. and then the beast must die which i think you watched with me and chuck at one point Mm um which is a really good um oh shit peter cushing vehicle um so yeah they're just a good studio and this is a really well done, well paced anthology. Um, I think the Waxworks is probably the weakest segment of it. Um, also, I think yes. the shortest segment of all of them. Yes. Um, but still has some effective stuff. And like I said, like you know, the <laughs> visual of like the severed heads is it sticks with you. Um, yeah, this is my favorite, and I I would order it. Waxworks, I do not like, um, but it's the to me cloak sweets to a sweet method for murder and i love the framing device of this um overall um and i don't really like wax works but um this is actually my favorite out of all of them honestly i mean per, like so here's the thing is that you just see like we were talking um when we talked about the faculty on last week's or the last yeah the horror mm-hmm. movies of 98 
episode and just how crazy when you look at like the star power in it i mean you think you've got a doctor who actor you know ingrid pitt who was like a a sex like super sex symbol Mm -hmm. for this time period plus cushing plus lee right plus like denholm elliott you know i mean there's all kinds of people in this movie that are just like mainstays of british horror and it's it's i i the thing that I like about Waxworks is I love Peter Cushing. And I think that Peter Cushing as the victim has one of the best, like most expressive faces to show horror and dawning like realization of like impending doom kinda. Like the way that I mean that well Peter Peter Cushing probably like 40 some years old when this movie's made maybe even shorter than that yeah and just like always had like those crazy like deep like craggy lines from like those high cheekbones Mm -hmm. and like i just love the cushing like scream face with like how long his mouth gets and how wide his eyes get you know today people anyone who thinks about peter cushing probably just thinks about um sure grandma tarkin but um yeah I mean, Cushing Lee and uh, huh? Price are, um, you know, really like probably three of my favorite actors of all time. And I love it whenever I get like to watch movies with them from this time period, even if their segments aren't that great or the movie's not that great. You know, they're still. Do you, do you want to know how old Peter Cushing was during this? Yeah. 58. Oh well, yeah, he looks fifty-eight. <laughs> I always Peter, assume that. Peter Cushing I, mean, I guess that makes 1913. sense. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he. So it's he only six years. The, so, so he was. I mean, look when he did Star Wars in seventy-seven, he's only like you know sixty, sixty-four, or whatever. So he he lived in nineteen ninety-four. He was eighty-one. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, Cushing. Um, Cushing Lee and um, Price are yeah, and then and then there's the other ones too. There's like the minor guys, like um, your your favorite David Warner, um, Oliver Reed. I mean, there's just all these like small, not small, but these actors that just classically trained Shakespearean actors because all those dudes right. are that sure, and bringing that gravitas to like some campy ass horror movie. Yeah, I don't know, it's just. I always think it's really cool when you see that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really like this. That was my, like I said, it was my favorite one. Um, out of all of them. I watched, I watched it last year and then I rewatched it again this past week. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah. So actually it's the highest critical score out of all these. Um, I just realized, but, um, all right. So number three on your list is also Amicus, um, 1972 a year later, Directed by Roy Ward Baker, also written by Robert Block, has a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and a 49% from audiences. Uh, you, let's see, the framing story stars Robert Powell, Patrick McGee, uh, Frozen Fear stars Barbara Perkins and Sylvia Sims, The Weird Taylor, the second segment is Peter Cushing and Barry Morris. Uh, third segment, Lucy Comes to Stay, stars Charlotte Rambling and Britt Eklund, and then the last segment, Mannequins of Horror, um, is Herbert Lom and Sylvia Marriott. Um, so, yeah. So those are all the principles there. 
So, um, mannequins of horror. We'll just get it out of the way. Weakest segment out of all of these. Um, the framing story is basically that there's a a man who's been invited to an asylum on a dark and stormy night, um, under the pretense that the previous to interview for a job as uh, the director of the asylum, under the pretense that the previous director was murdered by a patient, um. And then that murderer is now among these four patients that they want him to interview, basically, um, to see, like, how whatever canny he is at identifying, like, madness or whatever. Um, so the segments are framed like that, where he's going and, like, interviewing all these people who have been driven mad <clears throat> by some supernatural or extra natural, like, event. Um, to me, the best story and out of these four um as one that another one that i saw when i was pretty young and it just really stuck with me um is what does you say it's called frozen fear it's it's the first first segment yeah first um, very short very to the point and it's really like almost a a really good blend of like hitchcockian and then like hammer-esque like supernatural um man is married to a wealthy woman who refuses to divorce him even though their marriage is loveless and this is another thing i love about british british horror films is that this dude is banging two very attractive women his wife and his girlfriend and is the most unfortunate looking man like maybe in any of these movies he's just a weird looking like turkey vulture faced bad tooth british guy from so the 70s like, so it's like awesome powers kind of but like you're supposed to take it seriously right um so his wife refuses to force him so he murders his wife and then dismembers her and wraps her in um butcher paper and twine and puts her in their brand new freezer which again another one of my favorite parts of like maybe unintentional comedy in this where he's like um yeah baby i got you a new present it's downstairs let's go and she's like oh my god a freezer i always wanted a freezer and then he's like just hits her with an axe and kills her and chops her up yeah um it's actually really similar to um fuck that's another anthology um movie i can't remember what the name of it is um he chops her up and then um wraps her up in the paper and puts her in the freezer puts her parts in the freezer and the parts come back to life um so the girlfriend comes over to visit him because he calls her and he's like yeah i'm murdering my wife um you might as well come over and hang out um and then when she comes she finds his body in the freezer um with the frozen scream and then um all of the woman's parts still wrapped in the um the twine and the uh the paper except for the hand that reached out and grabbed and killed the man um which you can see like the nails and the hand on um are all like chasing her and like you know basically like they're gonna murder her so i i love the visual of the body parts wrapped in twine um i think it's i don't know what it is about that again like i'm really not like decapitations make me really uncomfortable 
and not even necessarily decapitations, but the idea of like the head being removed from the body specifically. Um, so as a kid, like, you know, that head that you can kind of see like the mouth and the eyes like depressed, almost like a mummy kind of, but with that like brown like butcher paper and just I don't know, it really freaked me out as a child. Mm-hmm. Um I think that Weird Taylor is is okay. Um another Peter Cushing um starring role. Um Lucy Comes to Stay is is decent too and that's got yeah, again like the start the, the the star power in this like with Charlotte Rampling and Britt Eklund in this one segment. Um both of whom were really popular like actresses in the 70s right. in Britain just to be in this little fucking like whatever 35 minute segment from this small horror studio um mannequins of horror uh it's just kind of goofy um but it does have herbert lom who's um wolfman i think herbert lom played um and then of I, course i know i recognize the name but i'm almost positive he was uh oh yeah he's definitely he's in lady killers here i remember that oh yeah um Jesus, his filmography is tremendous in terms of like its scope. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, he basically just did Pink Panther movies and horror movies throughout the yeah. 70s. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's in The Lady Vanishes. That's hmm. interesting. Hmm. In the Dead Zone. Um, anyway, so the epilogue, like the end of the framing piece, is that um, it was the guy that the man that was directing this guy interviewing for the job is the actual killer. Um, And then he had the real um, director. He had murdered the real director days before this guy showed up. Um, So he kills the guy that's interviewing. And then the end of the movie is somebody else is coming in to interview for the role. So the idea being that this killer is basically cycling through these candidates um, for his own pleasure, just to murder him. Um, yeah, I mean, I w- when I gave you the order of this list, is kind of arbitrary. Like, talking about it now, I think that House of Trip Blood is probably more enjoyable to me from start to finish in this movie, but I really love that Frozen Fear segment. Um, and it's so, like, inconsequential, like, the whole thing, and there's really not much to it, but at the same time, it's, like, that's exactly what a horror anthology should you know should be about is these short you know what i mean how long is this segment like 15 minutes maybe like 17 minutes but it you get every bit of a full story in it it gives you some good uncomfortable moments you know it builds tension and then it ends and it's it's successful so um and again i love the visuals of that i think it's really like super um super creative yeah so that's it yeah i mean this is probably it's probably my third favorite like out of this list um frozen fear yes is number one to me in this lucy comes to say to we are taylor three mannequins of horror um for framing device 
Well, the two, the next two don't have framing devices. Probably my second favorite. I mean, like I, I like this overall. Like it was, it was an yeah. enjoyable watch. Um, this is this is in the spirit of what most of these horror anthologies are, which is a really strong segment, a couple good segments, and a weak segment. And you can go on Prime and Tubi, and like they have dozens of these horror anthologies. So, yeah. We actually we didn't talk about our friend Orion. One of his favorite movies ever is a horror anthology in the Quad Dead Zone, mm. um, which was on our uh, 100th episode. Yeah. 100th episode. So, yeah. Um. All right, so we're going to go backwards in time just a little bit more here to Italy now. At this point, um, now oh, I forgot to look up his pronunciation. Um, so number one. two in your huh? Which one? Roger. Um, oh, Vadim. Vadim. Okay. So, <clears throat> number two on your list is Spirits of the Dead from 1968. 86% from critics, 65% from audiences. Um, Zengerstein um, is directed by Roger Vadim. Stars Jane and Peter Fonda. Uh, the second segment is William Wilson, uh, Louis, Louis Mal, um, Elaine DeLune. And Bridget Bardot star in that. And then there's Toby Damon directed by Federico Fellini. And that stars Terrence Stamp. All of these based off of that ground post short stories. So. In, in some cases, like in, insanely loosely based. On yeah, sure, 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 sure. Um, this is the pretentious frou-frou. Uh, I don't know. Frank egotistically flexing his film knowledge like portion of the the podcast <laughs> um flex away so louis mal and federico Fellini, two brilliant super influential directors not as big of a fan of um roger Vet- vadim um and consequently i really dislike his segment in this movie um, I find it to be like really long and tedious. The um, Bridget Bardot, or uh, Law, I'm sorry, Law. Jane, 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 Jane Fonda, Peter Fonda. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not even terrible. It's just like long is right, sure. But. It's very long, and it's supposed to be like titillating and showing all this debauchery, but it just ends up being really boring. Yeah. Although Jane Fonda looks tremendous in this fucking segment, mm-hmm. like she is. When when you're in a movie with with Brigitte Bardot, who probably is the most beautiful woman in the world at this point in time, and you're more attractive than her, like, I think that says something. Like, Fonda is, like, gorgeous in this movie. Um, so that segment's basically, it's kind of like the the Gilda Ray's story, you know? Do you know about that? Uh, I don't think so, no. Um, Guy, I, I'm saying this wrong. It's like Guy, Guy, Guy de Ray. Guy de Ray. Um, he was a lieutenant of Joan of Arc in France um, and ended up basically getting killed, like murdered, um, because he was kidnapping young children and molesting them and like committing necrophilia and then basically like drinking their blood and eating their body parts in an effort to like worship the devil and obtain eternal life. It's basically like the Countess. Or like a lot of the vampire myth from uh-huh. um whatever. So anyway, so this is sort of like similar to that, I guess. And I don't know if I was inspired by um the, that history when he wrote the story this is based on. 
which I'm not even that familiar with. I'm basically this woman who's like super rich and a completely like debased asshole. Um, ends up getting her comeuppance uh, after burning her distant cousin's stables um, by being ridden into a flame by a horse. Um, super long, incredibly boring. Not not a fan of the segment. I really love um, the William Wilson segment with uh, Elaine Delon and Brigitte Bardot. Um, I think that Louis Mao like really captures like you have this guy who's the most condescending misogynistic asshole and his doppelgangers at every like turn just like with like a turn of phrase or like a brief motion like disarming and um like undermining this you know chad or whatever you want to call him <laughs> like right. like all of his like plans like always foiling him uh-huh. um he ends up playing cards with Brigitte Bardot for an entire night and cheating to um, gain victory over her because he can't beat her at first. Um, and then after he's caught cheating by his doppelganger, um, he draws his sword and they fight and he ends up stabbing the doppelganger um, and then goes into church to confess um, and throws himself off the roof of the, or the whatever, the belfry um and then dies and it turned like he has the knife or the sword or whatever that he stabbed his doppelganger with in his stomach um so basically i guess the thing is you know he was his own worst enemy all the time it was always like defeating himself um but there's some really good really um really good cinematography in this it's got a something i think you hate which is like i consider it like the the dirty past look where like everything looks like what it probably looked like during that time period, which is kind of filthy and people just look sort of bedraggled and whatever. But Elaine Delon is a beautiful man and Brigitte Bardot is a beautiful woman and it's a really good combination. There. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I remember we always, we talked about um, Polanski's uh, Macbeth, right? Is that one we talked about on the podcast? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's a filthy fucking castle. Like, sure. That's like mud and... So I was, I was thinking. It makes about me, it makes movie. me uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that I like, like dislike it necessarily. It just makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Things making me uncomfortable make me dislike them. So gotcha. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's just yeah, like like I, I understand exactly what you mean. Yeah, this makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. So those two segments by themselves would not make this. Wouldn't even have gotten this on the list, but. The Fellini segment in Toby Dammit with um, Terrence Stamp is, to me, one of the most brilliant surrealist horror short films like ever made. <clears throat> to the point where, almost objectively, there's very little horrific in this segment. Because um, it's mostly about a, a fading American star, British maybe, but anyway, English-speaking star who's been flown to Italy to perform in um, a Western adaptation of the parable of Christ, basically, um, where Jesus is going to, like, ride a horse and have six shooters and shit. Like, there's some really funny, like, asides where they're talking about the things they're going to do for this Jesus Western. Um, he's an alcoholic, he's on drugs, um, he's barely lucid the entire time, 
but he sees this spectral child that no one else can see um and the way that Fellini films this kid with her like red eyes and red lips is that she's bouncing a ball that she's constantly trying to bounce a Terrence stamp and when he films her he films her at like three quarter angle where you're looking at like a semi profile of her and she's looking at you like directly like almost with like side eye and it's kind of like filmed with that that stutter camera technique that became like omnipresent in the 2000s with stuff like the ring and gothica or whatever and it's not it's not like super apparent but you know she's i think film like sped up from normal film so she appears to be like jittering a little bit <clears throat> and it's just really creepy and super effective and there's not like any kind of like real interaction with her but um he reveals through internal monologue that he's been seeing this you know this girl and she's been following him um the whole setting of this movie is very purgatorial i would say like it almost feels like this is dario argento's wet dream of what he wants movies to look like <laughs> is what fellini uh-huh. what fellini achieves in this short film which is washed out but bright colors and settings that appear to be like kind of floating by themselves in space like with no interconnectivity to anything else um just really surreal costuming and um terrence stamp is like slowly as he like drinks and moves through his day becoming more and more kind of unhinged by everything that's happening around him um so the film company that brought him out uh to play jesus gifts him with a ferrari which he then drives um recklessly through the city that he's in um increasingly coming in contact with instead of human beings like mannequins that are set up stood to look like human beings but aren't real um until finally he comes to a broken highway um with the devil the girl that he eventually like i guess in his head reveals to be the devil beckoning him on the other side of like this crevasse between two pieces of highway um and he backs his car up and he drives really fast to try and clear it and he ends up getting decapitated by um oh length of wire that's been run across the road because he's in a convertible um and then the little girl comes and picks his head up um and carries it off but um i think probably more of a pair of, so it's super loosely based on uh what is it never bet the devil your head or something like that is the name of the short story yes yep. um but really an interesting look at um kind of i don't know like bowie's cracked actor sort mm-hmm. of persona type thing which is the the guy that's been in like a major force in film and you know maybe like sunset boulevard is another good example like somebody mm-hmm. who was this like prime star and has slowly dropped like by increments that were incremental enough where they didn't really notice it but because of their bad behavior and you know bad choices and is now like relegated to this whatever like again not to keep making like whatever other film comparisons but sort of like once upon a time in um hollywood uh the dicaprio character who was one time you know like a star and is now having to go to 
Italy to do these um, genre films. And that's kind of Terrence Stamp's character is this guy that's been sort of relegated to this role where like they're super happy to have him because of the cachet of the name, <clears throat> but he's not invested in it. He doesn't care. His life's falling apart. He's barely, you know, cognizant at times or lucid and just the, the waxy drunken sheen of Terrence Stamp in this, um, uh, this short film is like disgusting. Um, and like a good parable to like alcoholism and self-destruction and you know like is the girl really there is that just him feeding into his own self-destruction and kind of like giving it a visual metaphor of you know this devil that wants him to come play with him and like he's basically going to take him to hell and is he trying to get there on his own because he feels like unworthy or like a failure i don't know but so the thing that is super influential about this movie is um the use of that little girl and the way that she's filmed and the way that he Fellini has her tilt her head down and look up into the side at you like and look at you um was a direct inspiration to Baba um for the way that he would film like particularly kill baby kill but um some other stuff too and then you take that and you move it into um the films of like what we've been talking about in the nineties, especially with the J horror, like things like right. Ringu and dark water um, is directly influenced by stuff from Baba. Um, so, you know, Fellini who surrealist isn't the right word, but Fellini is like a fantasist, I guess, and films things that have like a really fantastical element to them or like even the stuff like, like a Mark word, there's like a hyper realism to it. Um, to have him come and just make this one brief short horror film for an anthology of Poe short stories and just number one, like completely shit on the other two directors that he was working with just because of the level of talent there. Um, but like create something that to me is like a visual masterpiece and is uh -huh. super influential. Like, I think that's um, like that, that one segment is this whole movie to me. Um, yeah okay you, you convinced me like between that and i read here that this segment is 37 minutes i would have predicted it's 25 but i think i would have said that because the energy that keeps the pacing of the segment going throughout like is just incredible it's obviously the best film segment out of all of it um yeah and i yeah i mean you're right it's the best segment it's so weird like he's obviously the best director i think all of these are filmed in a very capable way like like the the filmmaking behind this is really strong the pacing and the storytelling necessarily not so much um but i think all of these are filmed extremely well um and i think they're actor extremely well um also and i i think my biggest problem with this even though i would say it's probably like my second or third favorite on here is that they're all it's like Metzengerstein is like maybe the closest kind of to a pure adaptation of Poe um, and but it loses the point of Poe's story completely and William Wilson 
kind of misses the point to me as well like uh, my reading of Poe at least you know and then it's like Toby Dammit is such a radical departure from that short right. story that but if I step back and try to like you know again think of them as their own thing yeah it's Toby Dammit Metzegerstein which is too long but like still like to me like works in some ways and then I guess like as a 2B William Wilson um see so let me tell you I don't necessarily care about the adaptation portion of it mm. um where usually like that's really important to me it matters like nothing to me in this yeah and I can't explain why that is I just I guess I don't care yeah why I like William William Wilson so much is because it feels like almost like a side story of Barry Lyndon in some way. Mm. Like, like here's something that's happening concurrently with Barry Lyndon of somebody else who's just as much of a skeeve as Barry Lyndon is, but it's got a supernatural comeuppance to it. You know what I mean? Right. Right. But like the way it's filmed, the way it looks, like the costuming, the natural lighting, like all that stuff is just so yeah, so reminiscent of um uh Kubrick to me that hmm. um and, and Louis Mal was a very like prominent and influential director for a long time. Um I don't think as great of a legacy as Fellini, but you know, certainly um, very talented director and it's just uh, Elaine Delon is one of my favorite actors of the 60s and 70s like I love that man's face I love the way that he acts I love his rugged like humanism that he brings uh-huh. even though he's like a very like attractive man he still has this I don't know like based humanity sort of like inherent in him and um, fucking Bardot like i actually hate bardo with dark hair but man is she gorgeous like those goddamn eyes and, and. i think the thing i like most about that segment is how it plays on the post story with the idea that he commits suicide and then because the, the the story itself like ends with like a stabbing but it's like it this ends with this like suicide and but then it's like when you see the body there's a knife in it and it's like I think it gets it's a different reading of the William Wilson story to me, um, but but it works really well. I think um, there, like that ending is is really cool um, that, that he decides to go with. But um, yeah, they're they're all very to me poppy adaptations of Poe that lose the original intent of them. So that's like my fucking literary geek bullshit. But um. Again, stepping back and judging them, I like all these to one degree or another, um, like just as short films. Um, and yeah, you're right. Toby Dan is the best. And it's only because the filmmaking is just like, and oh, everything yeah. is like so astounding in that. Like, fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, all right. So, can I just, I never. Like I had never editorialized before your number one pick here usually, but um, can I just say like, out of all the movies that like you could have picked here for the number one movie, this is the one, really? Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah. I'll be interested to see your defense. Um. So, number one on your list is 
Three Extremes from 2004. It has an 84% from critics, a 77% from audiences. Uh, the three segments are Dumplings by Fruit Chan, uh, Cut by Chambuk Park, and then Box by Takashi Miike. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about, like, uh, like kind of like this, uh, which is a very interesting concept, like with these Asian directors. Um, right. And then um, why you put it number one on the list. <laughs> So one of the more interesting things about um, this anthology uh, is the different looks based on country of origin that these directors bring to to horror, right? So you've got uh, Fruit Chan, who's um, Chinese, um, uh, Park Chan-wook, who's uh, Korean, and Takashi Miike, who's Japanese. Um, all three of them are very different directors too in a lot of ways um and fruit chan not really a horror director so an interesting choice um to use him um, i don't think it's actually said fruit i think it's said a different way but anyway um so out of all these directors i think it could be dark uh, takashi Mike is just like his volume of work is almost i don't know like un unmatchable like the amount of things that that man has created um but probably the most traditional scary story out of all of them um and i think the most well-filmed and beautiful segment um which is basically uh i don't even know what you would call it like a time slipped look at these two conjoined twins that um are basically joined both in life and death and can't escape each other um who were abused um physically sexually emotionally yeah. by this guy who was a <clears throat> i don't know like a carnival huckster freak show whatever proprietor um and sort of slips back and forth in time and in reality and um but just some really brilliant visuals in this uh which Mike um definitely uh, is known for um one in particular, uh, so there's the, I guess, defining incident of these girls' lives um, is when um, the favored sister, uh, who's basically being molested and groomed by the um, the carnival, whatever, proprietor, um, has her locked in a box and the other sister inadvertently burns her to death in this box. And so there's a scene that takes place in reality or modern times or whatever where the box like slowly opens and just the corner of her eye and burned head like peeks out and like is staring and it's just uh it's, it's so well done um the ghost elements of this are really well done because they're filmed with like a solidity to them where you're not quite sure sometimes what you're seeing is supposed to be like supernatural and also if what anything that you're watching is actually real or um like it's all very uh what i'm looking for like unreliable narrator-esque um but there's a lot of stuff that's done in the snow that's just gorgeous um mike really takes advantage of the juxtaposition of fire with like like the bright orange and reds of a fire with like the blueness of like a fresh snowfall and um it's definitely the most visually interesting definitely the most supernatural um and like true like horror element or um segment of 
of three extremes. It's my favorite. Okay. Out of all. Good, good. Because this, um, was, this was the only one that I thought was actually good. Like, so. Like, this is Mike. This is me. Mike just being Mike. Yeah. Dumplings. I, I don't think you can underestimate dumplings for what it is because it's a movie that's basically about the Chinese casting off of like these aging women for younger women by these men who are just complete egotists and assholes and what's the price of that for like these aging women like what is that what effect does that have so the the story in dumplings is there's an actress who is at one point like one of the more famous actresses in china um who's starting to age her skin is becoming quote-unquote flabby even though she's like whatever gorgeous um so she finds out that there's this woman this kind of like i don't think i don't know which doctor is the right word but like this um like holistic folk like medicine healer um that has these dumplings and if you eat them it'll reverse the aging process so she's rich she goes to this woman she starts eating dumplings and she notices a small change um, but then she finds out that there's the woman basically claims that they're what like duck embryos or something mm-hmm. Um, that she's chopping up and you're just feeling like the webbed feet and stuff because there's crunchiness to it um so the actress um whose husband is having an affair um becomes more desperate to like re- regain her youth and um asks for like the most dangerous is the right word but like the most potent dumplings this woman can make which she then find out are um made from aborted fetuses then this woman is also an abortionist um which again is a really to come out of communist china in 2004 is a super daring criticism of the um two child rule that china lives under um which was really controversial like at this period in time with the idea that you know like basically people are forced to abort their children um to prevent overpopulation but like you know at what cost and this woman is like a back alley abortionist and um she performs an abortion on a young girl who ends up dying uh from the abortion that she performed um so the actress consumes these dumplings with this fetus and immediately becomes like super attractive to her husband again and he's you know fucking her again um she develops a fishy smell from him um because the baby was uh sick inside the woman um but she's never been able to conceive before so she becomes pregnant and then at the end is the idea that she's aborting her own fetus to eat it to continue to retain um her youth and um that's the price that she's willing to pay um even though she's says early that she's always wanted to be a mother and she's always been sad she couldn't conceive um, that she's willing to basically waste this, you know, ability to have a child, which is like a precious commodity in China where people have to give up their children to maintain her youth. Um, so it's a really, 
it's a cynical look, I think, at um, wealth and um, a culture of like self-obsession and the idea of um, aging men like casting off um, women for younger women, like replacing them with like younger versions of themselves. Um, I think it's a pretty scathing look at like the again like the use of abortion and um kind of like the secretive nature of abortion in china which is sort of like you'll kill your child and <clears throat> just in order to maintain like that status quo um and then again like what's the cost of that to a society which is basically eating itself um but i think all those things make it a pretty important movie the other thing too is this is actually a shortened version of a full-length feature film um of the same name so there's elements to that that are cut out to make this fit into the anthology format. Um, yeah, I, I think the performances are good. I think Bai Ling is really good in it. Um, yeah, I like the performances are good. I, I, look, I, I, think I, 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 I wasn't hating on it. I just think it's fine. Like, uh, agreed with you probably on all the importance and stuff like that. I think I got all that. I'm just saying it's 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 fine. And I don't. I, think mean, I, just I think don't. I don't. I don't mean it in your way of fine. I just mean that it's where you like. There's hate nothing, it. right? There's nothing like. It's probably been 15 years since I've watched Dumplings, mm-hmm. and I remembered almost all of it, and I enjoyed it again. You know, I thought yeah. it was good. Yeah. Um. It's not. I'm never put it on like a whatever. Like one of my favorite movies. Blah blah. But. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's visually interesting. I, I'm always really fascinated by watching things filmed in Chinese cities um, because it's so foreign to us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like South Korea, Japan, even though those are like foreign and quote unquote exotic places, like I think we're all pretty familiar with the sights of like what those, what that looked like. Right. Um, but China is still kind of closed off in a lot of ways, especially at this point. Um, it's like the um, the farewell or whatever that movie was called um, mm. that I really enjoyed from last year. Yeah, um, it's the same thing. Like getting to see like mm-hmm. this is what a city in China looks like. This is what a highway in China looks like. This is, you know, the kind of almost like rundown tenement look of um, dumplings. I think is super interesting. Right, and um, I think it's I think it's pretty well directed. So. There's one shot where that is especially impressive to me that I really love, where Biling first goes to the um, abortionist uh, apartment, and he lets her walk inside, and he continues to follow her mm-hmm. movement with the wall, like into the window. So it's almost like you're becoming voyeuristic yeah. with like what's happening in this apartment, and it's just so perfectly um choreographed and executed that it's it really stood out to me and i thought it was a really great scene so and then the third segment um is honestly a really disappointing segment um and i don't quite understand i i think i think in a way where dumplings is less subtle i think that park chan wook is trying to make some kind of subtle criticism about something but i just don't get it maybe not being like korean um so the segment is called cut uh the premise is i think it's kind of like a last boy scout um king of comedy-esque like premise mm-hmm. um which is the uh hero worshiping fan 
um, who's become disillusioned with his idol, who's this filmmaker, and who kidnaps um, kidnaps him and um, straps his lover to a piano um, with razor wire and proceeds to chop off her fingers um, because he's disappointed in the filmmaker. Um, turns out that he murdered his wife um, and has dressed his son up as a schoolgirl in an effort to try and get the director to murder him um it's a very it's filmed like on a state like a sound stage kind of um where the director was working before so it's very clearly like a like a one-room film for the most part um not a big fan of the whole like torture setup gimmick um and again i'm not entirely certain that i get because I think there's some social commentary here and it might be similar to dumplings where it's about like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get the social commentary, but it just, yeah, as I a don't, film I don't watching it. I think it's fucking garbage. Like as a story, like I fucking hate so, this segment, like absolutely hate it. I think the story, the story with no context of the film that surrounds the story is fine if that's your conceit of the guy kidnapping this man that he's obsessed with to try and like force his way into his life or to punish him for basically like letting him down overall. Um, I hate the way that park films it and it's really antithetical to his own, like his normal style. Um, So when I was watching when I was watching this movie, I was thinking he had to have filmed this before he did like old boy or lady vengeance or Mr. Vengeance or even um, joint security area, but he had already filmed like a couple really good movies at this point. So I mean, he's done old boy, old boy by this point. Yeah. It always year before this. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's joint security area. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but that's a really good, um, really good movie about like the tensions between North and South Korea in terms of like you did me watch that yeah mm-hmm. demilitarized zone or whatever yeah um yeah it's almost like a spy caper sort of like set against that uh, anyway it's a really good yeah. movie if you ever mm-hmm. have the chance to see it um not you but you know our yeah. listeners um so he uses a lot of weird like almost like CGI filmmaking techniques and it's a lot of really uncomfortable camera techniques but not in like a interesting way just in kind of a tedious way um and there's nothing really interesting about any of the characters or the way that it's set up um and it's very i mean it's supposed to be stagey but it feels like really like stagey like it feels really fake to the point where you almost can't even invest in like what's happening um yes so disappointing but I think the box is fantastic. Yeah. And to me, um, with from a modern sensibility, like one of the better things that's on this list. Um, and I really enjoy dumplings. I've always liked dumplings. Yeah, I yeah, it's to me like dumplings is like a seven out of ten like segment. Um sure. it's 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 solid. Like, you know, I said five, but it's solid. Um, box is the best one cut i I just want to say i i absolutely fucking hate this thing and 
I hate it from a like script writing standpoint. I hate it from even I don't fully understand the context of all of it, like from the country's origin. Like what I can gather is this like, you know, I think like some criticism of the idea of like the the fan who's disappointed with the director, which feels very like M. Night Shyamalan lady in the water to me um, of like that type of thing. I don't like the way it's filmed whatsoever. You're right. It doesn't feel like it's anything that like Park does in other places. And just from like a storytelling standpoint, it's like, it feels like something a fucking 16 year old would write. Yeah, agreed. And you and know I'm- what? I did write this when I was 16 and I wrote it as a fucking comedy. And you fucking like actually like were in it. <laughs> like, like to some degree. Like, that's yeah, true. Like, and I wrote it because I realized it's a fucking childish, ridiculous story. And so I changed it to a comedy. And it, this was just fucking awful to watch. I fucking hated it. Like you should I, upload I, the problems with ADD <laughs> so people can watch it. Right. Um, I would love now today, like 20 or foot 16 years later, something like that, maybe 17 years later, like to refilm the problems with ADD. Like it's been a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um you know what the best part of that night was? What's that? You bought us all subs from pets. Yeah. I did do that. All right, that's right. Yeah. So thank us um, for being in your movie. Right. What was it? Four hours on my maybe? Five? I don't know. It was fine. Whatever it was. Yeah, four or five. Um yeah. But um it just felt really childish to me the entire thing. Like so one of the biggest not, issues not childish. With it, it's teenager esque, like movie yeah, yeah. teenager. Like one of the one of the biggest problems with this movie is that it's so garish in the way that it's filmed that it's again like completely antithetical to Park's usual because he captures color and he's really good at like juxtaposing darkness with light but it always feels rich and infused and I don't know like I I love Chinwoo Park's um cinematography and the way that he films things and it's just it doesn't happen here it's just not very good but um again i gave you the order of this list like two minutes before we started the podcast because mm-hmm. i just didn't right. even know so maybe this yeah and like i'm a guy who one. likes this dude overall like i like i i like old boy like you know symphony for mr vengeance is i like better than lady vengeance personally but um i like thirst i like the handmaiden like you know i mean um but this this is terrible (laughs) terrible (laughs) but yeah mika's good Um, and that'll serve as a nice segue here soon um for more mika talk and then this month so right and then we're gonna watch ichi the killer like as a first watch no, 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 that's not the first one. Are you talking about December 1st watch? No, I don't know. I'm just trying no. to get you pissed off because gotcha. you hate that movie. I'll be really fascinated to watch each the killer again, honestly, after close to 20 years. Um You're gonna you're you're gonna have a new appreciation for the semen on the um Yeah, no, I don't think I'll have an appreciation for the that. Leaf. Again, I think that's like fucking just that just like what I'm talking about now is like fucking like 
teenage bullshit and um but whatever like um yeah i don't know we'll see like i i think uh there's things i'll like in ichi more and there's things i'll fucking hate even even worse probably but um Mikay's a fascinating director. I mean, like, I, I no doubt, like, whatsoever. Like, an original voice and visionary, like, regardless of what I think of his individual films and all that kind of stuff. Um, I want to talk about happiness to Kata Curry someday. Like, that's that's what I want to talk about. But. Well, if we ever do the top five... Um, Japanese musicals? Uh, Mikay <laughs> movies, it'll be on there. But um, yeah, I, I I was really interested. I I I actually sat down like watch. Well, House Trip Blood. I second time around, I paid a little bit less attention to. But I mean, I I actually sat down and watched all these movies like because I was really interested to see. Um, and there's things, there's segments I liked, but it's like as a whole, like you know, overall, um, yeah, I just don't think it's my thing. Like these anthology movies, like um. I don't know why, I, I but, um, but yeah, I appreciate you making a um, kind of like a a a, a six through ten list one. <laughs> it's pretty accurate. I probably still would put um Toby Dammit. Um, but uh, yeah. So and, I mean, and now it's the drip blood. David would have still made the list, I think. But uh, joking aside, though, like you know, um many of those things that you talked about, some of them will make future lists from 70s horror or um, yeah, see, body bags you thought you put on, yeah, you thought you put, talked about already, that's why you didn't put it in 93 probably. Um, I mean, what was I thinking? What were you thinking about body bags? No, why, why did I think we talked about it? Maybe we just talked about it. You know, you know what it is? I think, here's my guess. You want my guess? I think that Body Bags was on Netflix the one time that we did, like, Frank's horror recommendations on Netflix. And you talked about Body Bags, and I think you remember talking about Body Bags on there. I think that's what well, it was. Body Bags is a good anthology. Go watch it. Or it was the night that we just like sat or sat around <laughs> like two two years ago, two and a half years ago, and we were just looking through Netflix and Amazon and all the different streaming services. And you were just telling me about all these movies that we were going through. And I was like, we should do this for like fucking Netflix at some point. And like it might have been that night too that you were telling me about body bags. Um, because the only thing I remember was that gas station one. But it could have been that as well, because we talk so much like about like shit like outside the podcast that like sometimes it is really hard to remember what we do and what we don't. Yeah, fucking time is a flat circle or whatever, right? <laughs> uh, this is either that 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 answer is either Frank is completely <laughs> done or Frank needs to urinate. Um, like that's... no, I don't got to pee. I'm no, good. no, okay. So really, Frank's just want to go have a cigarette. I'm. I... Mm. I think I'm done with these anthologies. <laughs> um, just very quickly, I just want to plug, because I should have done it at the very beginning of the podcast, um, new episode of The Best 30 Minutes is out on Podbean right now. Um, 
hopefully soon to be available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all podcatcher apps uh, where we talked with our friends, uh, Mike Bledsoe and our Ryan Wellmaker last night about our earliest NES experiences. Um, so that's out now. Um, it's on our Facebook page. Um, if you want to access it through there right now. And then um, next week we have, or two weeks, sorry. Um, we have five, five Fridays this month. Um, next week, we two weeks from now, we have the top five were creature movies, which love the list. Um, like, absolutely. Like, I wear this one, like, you know, I'm just not a big fan of short stories. Like, love that list. And um, then we end the month with uh, the top five horror movies, 1989, ending off the 90s. And then we move on to the uh, the Heaster list. Top five motorsports movies of all time. I mean, oh boy. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, and then we have, you know, other stuff. So, thank you for listening, everybody. Frank's like half falling asleep, half wanting to smoke a cigarette. So, um, both. Yes. A little from column A, a little from column B. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Oh, hey. Oh, so let me. What? Where, where is this energy coming from? <laughs> so there's a movie i'm gonna watch this weekend i don't know what to think about it but the many saints in newark no i will watch that this weekend I'm, I'm looking forward to that okay um it's called demonic okay. and i had no idea it existed um but it's directed by neil blomkamp who i love district nine and then he kind of just like after elysium and chappie just sort of disappeared but um yeah i'm super super interested in uh, watching it um like straight up horror movie directed by this dude that did one of my favorite sci-fi movies of the past 20 years so yeah hmm. is that like free somewhere oh no no oh you're gonna spend 15 dollars on it it's 6.99 oh nice okay that's that's something well maybe that'll I make might... the maybe that'll make the post easter podcast of the fresh five who knows did you see um just trying to tie it in? Did you see what's the fuck it's gonna be released for free on Peacock? Um what? Boss mm, Baby 2? No, fuck. That was, uh, that was their last big get, so who knows? What what is it? Oh, it's really bothering me. That you can't even remember anything about what's being released on Peacock? It's something that's coming out that we wanted to see um, in theaters. Hmm. Like we had said, you guys said to me, would you watch this movie? And I said I would. And now that I found out it's going to be streaming on Peacock for free, my answer is no, I will not go to the movies. <laughs> um, yeah, I have no idea. Hold on. Let me. Uh, okay, I'm Googling some shit. Fucking Men in Black is the is the main thing here. Um, let's see. Unidentified with Demi Lovato. What? Hold on. An unscripted series that follows Demi Lovato, their skeptical best friend Matthew, and their sister Dallas. Oh, they're using her proper pronouns now. Okay, gotcha. As they attempt to help uncover the truth about UFO phenomena, Demi Lovato is investigating UFOs on Peacock. Yeah, doesn't that sound good? 
I I'm just kidding. I don't care. <laughs> Damn, I'm trying to like scroll through Reddit really fast. I see. see I, I yeah, I, I see nothing here. Hold on. New in October. You think it's you think it's soon? Um, November maybe. It's something that like I can't believe that they're gonna stream it for free. Okay, I see nothing in November unless they're just not listing it very well. But this is Peacock's like website. Um, okay, so maybe the bold stuff here is original. So it looks like look at that. Um, there's some there's somebody that's like looking this shit up and like beating us to the punch and is like these fucking assholes like can't. But by the shit. by the Terrible. by the time. By the time they're doing that, by the time they're doing that, we'll already know because they'll be in the future. <laughs> right. And we're already in the past. Right. Well, they've seen everything. They have seen everything. They've seen it all. All right. God, fucking it, the, the is... Saudi Arabia pay-per-view for WWE is going to be on a fucking peacock. So NBC has gotten in bed with this kind of fucking blood money. Do you re- do you realize that now? Like, it was one thing it was when it was network. Now it's NBC. Like, ugh. I don't see anything, Frank. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, damn it. God damn it. I'm so mad because it was like, there was like five articles on Reddit earlier, and I was getting annoyed. Oh, Halloween Kills. Halloween Kills. Oh, it's being really... Hold on. Let me, let me search Peacock's website. Oh. Day and date. Um, oh, yeah. Here it is. They don't have it bolded as like an original. It's on here. October In, 15th. Yeah, two weeks. Halloween Kills, right. But it's like... <laughs> Rather, they have bolded here as an original good timing with Joe Firestone mm, Peacock great. original comedy special, like, but not Halloween Kills because you know what? That's how nobody cares about that. I didn't like that Halloween movie, um, that came out like, a couple years ago. No, get out of here, fuck, get the fuck out. That was not movie's good, really right? good. It's not, it's really good. It's really good. You're wrong, not good, not good. I look texted up the, you about it that look, night. Look up, like, have, like your opinion isn't like some kind of whatever. <laughs> um, go rewatch it again. How many times you watch? I it? did. Once? What? You watched it twice? Yeah, I watched it like fucking trapping Michael Meyer in the house. Come on, come on. Yeah, I like it. That's fucking. She's good in it. Like, how is she going to be? She's grown an actress since like number one. The opening (laughs) thirty minutes of that movie is almost perfect for a Halloween. She's grown as an actress since True Lies, but it's like it's not. It's 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 just whatever. From from him escaping and killing like that kid and his dad, the kid that just wants to be a dancer. Good scene. And then murdering the two um fucking hack psycho reporter whatever okay so like ho- the- let me let me ask you this if halloween is 10 out of 10 right first carpenter halloween what what is let's be honest what's this movie like what seven is and- it's a seven are you comparing it to like you know curse of michael myers or something like that which is like a one out of ten and upping the rating like compare it to halloween the first halloween what is this fucking movie Oh, you can't you can't do that. All, no, all no, I think back. you can. I think you can. 
I can, and it's a seven, motherfucker. Okay. It's a five out of ten compared to no, the it's first not. Halloween. I, look it up on Rotten Tomatoes. What's the goddamn score? <laughs> what? So all these like modern reviewers can like, you know, like geek out over it. Do you know I saw a review today, Frank, on Vox of Midnight Mass? And I read the entire thing. It's gotta be like fucking like 20, uh, 20 2500 words about like how they didn't feel this, this reviewer like was really like critical of it because they didn't feel they were represented because they're basically an atheist um and they didn't feel they were represented in it first of all not true i don't think about midnight mass second of all very knowledgeable about the history of like horror and all this kind of stuff but like completely just like twisting facts and like what actually happens in midnight mass to suit the idea that they weren't represented as if like, you know, they, an atheist and an agnostic has to be represented in anything. Um, Definitely an atheist and an agnostic in this. I I know. Right. I'm, I'm a fucking like the, the hardest core, like probably like agnostic in the world, but it's very critical organized religion. I fucking love midnight mass, even though it's so biblical in some ways like in terms of the content like i hey what 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 score did i tell you i would give that halloween seven out of ten. Oh well it's a 79 percent tomato meter 70 percent audience score drop the mic good night uh, is, 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 is that your drop the mic moment is that like the massive i, I with just you? i yeah i just <laughs> i completely called that 100 percent, and that makes you wrong and you're a bitter fuck. And now you already hyped the next podcast. So we'll talk to you in two weeks. See you listen soon, to people. Cage, listen to the best 30 minutes. Deuces. Yes.